Hi everyone. Hi. Good to see you. Good to see you. Are you Anne? This is Anne, all the way from Eldoret in Kenya. Give her a welcome. Yeah, lovely to see you. And welcome everyone else as well. Great. God is good. Amen. All right. Um, just also an advancement. I don't think it's in the newsletter, is it? It is in the newsletter, but the date is not in the newsletter, I think, which is the baptism, which is the 24th of March. 24th of March, you know, <laughs> Charlene. So if you, if you have not yet been baptised or you know someone who hasn't been baptised and they would like to be, you'd like to be, then let one of us know and we'll include you in that day. It's going to be a great day on the 24th of March. I love baptisms. I love them. I really do. Okay, uh, we're going to continue. For those that are with us for the first time, we've been going through John's Gospel for 40 weeks. And uh, amazing, isn't it? And we are at the end of chapter 16. So just let me just fill you in briefly what we've been looking at. For the first 12 chapters, Jesus has been ministering to the multitudes, to the Jews, and revealing himself as the Messiah, as the Son of God and as the Saviour of the world through his words, his teaching and also his miracles demonstrating that he is the Son of God. Okay, And um, at the end of chapter 12 he finishes ministering to the multitudes and then he just takes the disciples, just the 11 disciples that are remaining into the upper room and uh, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, he pours into them vital teaching that they will need concerning his coming death, his resurrection, also the fact that the new covenant is about to be ushered in, what life in the new covenant is going to be like, how we relate to God in the new covenant. And of course, he tells them that he's going to be going. He's going to be departing from them. They will see him no more on earth. Uh, but the Holy Spirit will come and he will abide with them forever. So that's what we've been looking at. Now we come to chapter 17, which is a fantastic chapter, a unique chapter where we get this insight into Jesus praying now to the Father. Um, that's what we're going to look at. This, this, we call it the high priestly prayer of Jesus. John chapter 17. So let's just start. We're only going to look at um, five verses this morning. Verses 1 and 2. Jesus spoke these words. That's the words that he spoke in chapters 13 to 16. Lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given to him. So we're going to look at those things, okay? He's asking the Father to now glorify him and also that in glorifying him, he may glorify the Father. And also he mentions that all authority has been given to him over all flesh now. What does that mean? We'll look at that. And also um, that he can give eternal life to those that the Father has given to him. So first of all, Jesus often prayed... But usually we don't know much about the content of his prayer because he prayed alone or when the disciples were with him, they were sleeping. 
But here he prayed in the presence of witnesses, especially John, who they all listened to what he was saying. And, and John recorded this and wrote it and gave it to us so that we can learn from it. And this prayer is actually in three parts. First of all, he prays for himself in the first five verses. That's what we're going to look at this morning. Just concentrate on that. Then next week, he prays for the disciples. Uh, well, he, that's not next week. He prayed like then, back then, but we're going to look at that <laughs> next week. Um, the disciples that were with him. Okay. But then he prayed also at the end for all believers that would come to believe in him, which is us. He prays for us. So some exciting things there. And um, we know going through John's gospel that six times he said his hour has not yet come. Remember that? We saw that over and over again. Uh, they wanted to arrest him. They wanted to put him to death. But he was in control. He was in the control at the time of his death. And he kept saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. But now he says the hour has come. The hour that it was, he was destined to go to the cross, that has finally arrived. And he prays that God would glorify him. In doing that, he was praying actually for strength to go through with it, to go through with it, to see it to the end. And, and the Father answered that prayer. And, and God will always answer that prayer for you. When you're facing something that you, you find is difficult and, and you need God's help, you ask him for strength, he will strengthen you. He will give his grace to you. And Jesus proved that more than anyone. He faced the most difficult thing that anyone has ever faced. And he prayed that God would strengthen him. You know what happened? God sent an angel to strengthen him. That's powerful. You know, he was, he was, he was so stressed. Can I use that word? That, that the blood pushed through the pores of his skin and congealed in the cold night air and dropped as drops of blood on the ground. He was so stressed, facing the horror of the cross. But he prayed that the Father would give him strength, and he did. He was able to go through six trials. You know, Caiaphas, Herod, Pilate, backwards and forwards, six trials he had to face. All the humiliation, the beating, the whipping, the scourging, then finally being nailed to the cross. And God gave him strength to endure everything. And he will give you strength and me strength for whatever we're facing, even this week, whatever you're facing, you commit it to God. You learn from Jesus, ask the Father to be with you, and he will take you through it. He is faithful. Amen. Now, he prayed that both the Father and the Son would be glorified in the cross. So what I want to say about that is this, that the cross is central to Christianity. Whenever we get away from that, you know, I, I never tire of talking about what Jesus did at the cross because we're forever learning the depths of what that is. You know, the riches of his grace that have come out of that. And we're forever learning. And, and, and Jesus and the Father were glorified in that. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 12. We've already seen this, but he said, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the Father would be glorified in the cross. We'll look at that in a moment. 
but also Jesus. And then in the next chapter, he said this. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified. Talking about the cross. And God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. So we need to see that the, 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 you know, the, the cross is that which God, the Father and the Son are glorified in. I, I love that, that song um, that we sing, a thousand generations. You know, a thousand generations. All those generations of people of faith who have looked forward to the cross and, and, and lived in the light of the cross and have glorified God. You know, all those that will believe, all those that are the angels surrounding the throne, they're all singing one song, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb. You know, that, that's why we make it central here, the finished work of Christ. Because when we get to heaven, that's going to be the greatest thing where God is going to be glorified throughout eternity, through what he did in his son at the cross. So how is the son glorified, first of all? Well, the son will be glorified in his death because he would be the one upon whom the sin of the whole of humanity would be laid and he would atone for it. Your sin, my sin in its totality would be laid upon him and he would be the sin bearer, the propitiation, the one on whom the, the, the wrath of the Father would be appeased. He'd be glorified in the death, but he'd also be glorified in the resurrection. He laid three days in the tomb, dead. Then God raised him from the dead. But he didn't, it wasn't resurrected life, it was the new life. The life that's given to you and to I. Amen? That life, the resurrection, life, he's glorified in his resurrection. And then he was taken up to the right hand of God's throne, seated on his right hand. And, and, and uh, you know, everyone worships the lamb on the right hand of the father. And, and since then, he's been interceding for the saints for 2000 years. Our great high priest making intercession for us, bearing witness to the father about us, glorified. Amen. And then sending the Holy Spirit upon the church and, and then also as he said I will build my church think of everything that's come against the church everything that's come against the church you know Satan and the world has chucked everything at the church but Jesus said I will build my church and result of you know regardless I should say of everything that's gone on outside from outside and even you know the problems from within the churches the heresies, the divisions and all that sort of stuff. Jesus keeps building his church. The son is glorified. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But then the cross would also glorify the father. Because in the cross, the attributes of God would be displayed. See, the, when we use the word glory, when we talk about the glory of God, what do we mean by that? The glory of God is the sum total of all his attributes. Amen. And we see these displayed in the cross. We see the holiness of God. God is so holy, he cannot look upon sin. And when sin was laid even upon his own son, the Bible says he spared not his own son. God could not just let it go. He brought down his wrath upon his son. We see the holiness of God. We see the mercy of God. The mercy of God. 
The mercy of God is endless. It's like everything we've ever done wrong or ever will do wrong, there's mercy from God. All our failures, all our falling, all our mistakes, the mercy of God, goodness and mercy are following us all the days of our lives. Amen? Because of the cross. Because of the cross. And the grace of God. It means it's not because of anything you or I have done. It's all of God. It's because of who He is. He's a God of all grace. We see that at the cross. We see the love of God. God so loved the world. What's that song we sing? You know, you didn't want heaven without us. So, Jesus, you brought heaven down. And He did. He came, He died upon the cross so that the love of God could be manifest. The wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Who would have thought that a lamb could take away the sin of the world. Who, who would have thought that God would devise such an incredible plan when there was no way back to him as for him to come through his son in the flesh and live as a human being, die as a human being for human beings. The wisdom of God. The power of God. The power of God. Because Jesus died. He not only delivered us from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. Where sin abounds, his grace now abounds much more. We have victory, to walk in victory because of the cross. Amen? The justice of God. The justice of God. God didn't sweep sin under the carpet and say, well, let's forget about it. He dealt with it. He upheld his justice. He fulfilled it, in, it totally. And, of course, the defeat of Satan. Right, you know the first prophecy in the Garden of Eden when God prophesied to Satan you will bruise his heel, the seed of the woman. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And it happened at the cross. Satan's defeated. He's our enemy. He walks around like a roaring lion, but he can only deceive us if we're not in the truth. But he's defeated. You don't have to fear him. He's defeated. Amen. So the Son is glorified. The Father is glorified in the cross. And Jesus prayed that the Father would glorify his Son. Only the Father can glorify him. He's not interested in the honour that comes from man. The rulers of that time, they were. He said this to them, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Oh, that's not a good place to be. To be a man pleaser, seeking people to speak well of you. Jesus said, how can you believe who receive honour from one another and do not seek the honour that comes from the only God? Oh, he wasn't interested in what I think. I mean, most people walked away from him. He didn't care. He, you know, that did not move him. All he wanted was the glory that comes from the Father, the honour that comes from him. And, and when you think about it, the message that Jesus gave to the apostles to take to the world was one in which there was nothing attractive. The cross was utter humiliation as far as the world was concerned. To the Jews it was a stumbling block. To the Greeks it was foolishness. There was no glory in it. They looked for things in which there was glory. You're talking about us putting our faith in a man that became a curse on a cross? It was foolishness, but it was the instrument of glorification of the Father and the Son. And that's the wonderful thing, is that God takes this message of the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, 
It is the power of God. Amen. God has given to Jesus, not only did Jesus pray that he would be glorified, but he said also all authority has been given to him. Now, a lot of people don't understand this. They think that Jesus had authority over the world right from the beginning. Not really. Actually, God gave that authority to Adam. Have dominion. Have control. And then he gave it to who? Satan. And Satan is the ruler of the world. So Jesus had to come as a man in order to gain back that authority. That's the clear record of Scripture. Some people think, no, that's, that's, that's wrong. No, it's right. That's what the Bible says. Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not count his equality with God something to be grasped, but laid aside his glory, came in the form of a servant, came in as, as a man, humbled himself, was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And then he says, wherefore, God has highly exalted him. After that, after he triumphed, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in things in heaven and on earth and under the earth, all authority has been given to him. After he rose from the dead and he commissioned his disciples, Matthew 28, verse 18, he said, what? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he has been given authority over every living creature. Listen to what Paul said. He had a great understanding of this. He said, he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. All authority. Now that authority includes giving eternal life, to quote Jesus' word, to all whom the Father has given him. Think about that for a moment. How are we to understand that? That, that he's given authority to give given Jesus authority to give eternal life to all whom the Father has given him. There's two things we've got to be careful of here that we don't fall into error. Some people say, well, uh, that means that only some are chosen and they're the ones that uh, he gives eternal life to. Now, um, we can say, no, that's not true. But then we can, we can so reject that that we miss this wonderful truth that we were given to the Father before the foundation of the earth, okay? Don't lose sight of that, it's a very precious truth. Our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. What, when you made a decision? No, before the foundation of the world. You know what, six times in this chapter, Jesus used that phrase. Let, let me just read them to you. We've read one, then he says in verse six, I've manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Verse 9, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Amen. Verse 11, Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me. Verse 12, those who you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. Verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, 
may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. So there's something here that was very precious to Jesus. He repeated it six times in that prayer. Those that you have given to me. We were given to the Father before the foundation, sorry, we were given by the Father to the Son before the foundation of the world. You know, we, we were having a talk on Friday night with um, uh, Benny and Robert and Julian and Gail and, and th th somebody said, um, you know, they can, they can, this DNA thing, from your saliva, they can trace people that you are connected to genetically without people you didn't even know. You know, it's an amazing thing, this DNA. Um, and, and people are interested in, in their roots, how, trying to trace how far back they go and where they go. You ever done that? My, my niece actually um, did an ancestry thing for us. And I ha actually have a French connection. Uh -huh. <laughs> Je ne comprenais pas. I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the thing is, people are interested. They want to know. They want to know their roots and go back there. And um, just imagine this. Paul and, Paul and uh, Rowena, you're like this. You just bought a property, right? And, and you go out into the back garden and you start digging. Maybe you want to plant a tree or you want to lay some foundations for a shed or something like that. And you start digging. And, and you hit something hard. You think it's a rock, but, but it's not a rock. And, and you unearth it. And there's this vessel, like this container, and it looks like it's thousands of years old, right? And you think, wow, I wonder what this is. It must be worth a lot of money. You take it along to some archaeologist. I say, that is thousands of years old. And they study it, and they're amazed by it. And, and then they realize they can actually take the top of this container, see what's inside, and they take it off and there's this old parchment. And they bring it out and very carefully, and it's thousands of years old, and they're able to decipher it. And on this parchment, it's got your names and your birth dates. <laughs> now, that's, you say, that's incredible. Well, you know what? This is even more incredible. You can go all the way back beyond the beginning of this world into eternity and you, you will find in the scroll of heaven your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Hallelujah. Now what does that tell us? Well, it tells us this. There's nothing random about your salvation. Don't ever, you know, sometimes I hear people say, you know what, I'm... I'm, uh, this and this and this happened I met this guy and he led me to the Lord if I didn't meet that guy, that person I would be going to hell, no you would not your names were written, God would have sent somebody else along to you Amen? Your names were written in the Lamb's book of life from before the foundation of the world now, okay, let's deal with this other thing so does that mean that God chooses some and rejects the other, no he doesn't say that in the Bible, some people build a doctrine out of that but that's not what the Bible teaches so even if you don't understand everything, don't reject anything you don't understand. Hold on to this precious truth that your salvation is not random. It's not a chance thing. You know? It's a divine thing. It's 100% divine. 
God set his love upon you from you know, eternity and he wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. But the Bible also says that eternal life is promised to all who will believe. Hold on to that. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that what? Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 5, most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. John 11, 25, 26, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever believes, sorry, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. That's clear, isn't it? So you don't have to marry these together. You don't have to kind of harmonize it. It's not our job to do that. It's okay, the Bible teaches this and the Bible teaches this. I hold on to both. You don't have to understand everything to believe it. Amen? By faith, we understand that God created the world. I don't understand how God created the world out of nothing, speaking, and then the universe comes into being. I don't understand that. But I hold on to it because the Word of God says it. Amen? That's a very healthy attitude to take. If God's Word says it, believe it before you understand it. Then you'll find that you begin to understand many things that you didn't understand if you will first believe them. Amen. Okay, let's move on. All authority is given to Jesus. All things are going to end up with the Son. You know that? Paul had that revelation in Ephesians 1. He says that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. You understand why we, we focus on the centrality of Christ, don't you? Because everything is going to end up with him and he's going to be worshipped eternally or judgment this is a part of the authority or judgment has been given to him also for the father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the son that all should honor the son just as they honor the father he who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him now, you can say, well, what about the Holy Spirit? You know, with Jesus praying, glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you. What about the Holy Spirit? Well, right at the beginning, we read these words. Jesus spoke these words. What words? The words that went before, chapters 14, 15, and 16, speak much about the Holy Spirit. So it's not that there's only two members in the Godhead. Jesus already talked about the, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. And that's so important because that's a test of Holy Spirit ministry. You know, a lot of people talk about the Holy Spirit. They have these sort of um, uh, nice fuzzy feelings, you know, when the, they think that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you know, like these ecstatic experiences, these, these nice warm feelings. You can get that um, in other ways. Not all of them legal, but I mean, there's other ways you can, you can get those sort of nice feelings. Um, but that's not what the Holy Spirit ministry is. The test of Holy Spirit ministry is he will point you to Jesus. Jesus will be the focus. No one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. That's how important the Holy Spirit is. All that Jesus did on the cross, all that the Father did in sending Jesus to do that, it would be of no value 
or no profit unless the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see it and reveal it and draw us to Jesus. That's how powerful the Holy Spirit is. Amen. Jesus is not known through intellect, but by revelation. And it's the Holy Spirit that brings that revelation. Let's read what Paul said about that in 1 Corinthians 2. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And that's something anyone that's in ministry, uh, especially preaching, must really come to understand very clear. You can do your part, you can preach, and you've got to be faithful in teaching what the Word of God says, but you cannot work in someone else's heart. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only the Holy Spirit can open their eyes and open their heart and draw them to God. Amen. When he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Okay, let's move on. So Jesus said um, that, that the Father has given him authority, that he should give eternal life to all that the Father has given to him. What is eternal life? This is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's eternal life. The nature of eternal life is not just extent, the fact that it goes on forever. That's true, but it's content. What is it? Not just quantity, but quality. The essence of life is to know, personally know, the only true God and Jesus Christ. That's the wonder of salvation. It's not religion, it's not rules and regulations and stuff like that. It's a relationship. We were dead. We have a human spirit, but it was dead. There's nobody living there. Amen? Until we were born again. And that means that God came to live inside us. We are now the temple of God. We have a relationship with him. One of the promises under the new covenant is none of them shall teach his neighbor and none of them his brother saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Amen. You have a relationship with God, which is yours. No one can tell you what to believe or, you know, or, or, or to try to uh, control your relationship with God. It's your relationship with him. You know him. Guard that. We've been brought into the circle of divine love so that we can know the Father and the Son intimately. Hallelujah. Okay, moving on quickly. Jesus said this, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work you have given me to do. Wow, that's a great way to end your life, isn't it? Amen. And I don't know whether I can say that. I've glorified you on the earth. I've finished the work you've given. But I know this. I can say that Jesus has finished the work. He, he has glorified the Father. He glorified the Father by his life, by the way he lived, by his works, by what he did, by his words, by what he taught, and by his obedience. He glorified the Father. He lived for the glory of the Father. But he also said he finished the work that God gave him to do. And that work was, of course, the cross. In fact, when he was on the cross, he said that word, didn't he? 
the last word, tetelestai. It is finished. It is finished. Now it's amazing because he said it before he'd gone to the cross, right? He said, I've finished the work you gave me to do, but he hadn't yet gone there. Now there's a sense in which the work was not finished, but Jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So there's a sense in which the work was already finished. And, and Jesus called those things which were not as though they were already accomplished. There's a great lesson in the Christian life. He called those things which were not as though they were all accomplished. In fact, if you read on in this prayer, he could even see himself as good as back in heaven. He says, uh, these are in the world, but I am no longer in the world. But he was in the world. He's still in the world for a few more weeks. But he already saw himself beyond the cross back in heaven. And we need to see ourselves positionally and call those things which are not as though they were. You know, Paul does that when he talks about our salvation. He says, those whom God justified, he also glorified. You know what glorification means? It means that we are uh, raised from the dead with our glorified bodies, a body like under Jesus' body, and already with him, eternity, presented to the Father spotless. And the Bible, Paul says, those whom he has justified, he's already glorified. You already need to, you know, sometimes we think, I don't know if I'm going to make it. You've made it. You're there. In the purposes of God, you are there. You are glorified before the Father. So we need to pray the same way that Jesus prayed. Call those things which are not as though they already are. Last verse. He says, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, this is important that we see what he's saying here. Um, the glory Jesus spoke of in verse 1, which we spoke of before, was the glory of the cross. Jesus coming from heaven as the mediator, as God manifest in the flesh, being obedient unto death and returning to the Father, that's the glory of the cross. The glory spoken of here is the glory which he had with the Father from eternity. Now why is that important that he mentioned that there? Because this confirms his pre-existent state. Okay, before the world began, Jesus was already there. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God, right? And his equality with the Father because he says, the glory that I had with you. Now we know that God says that he shares his glory with no one. Amen? So what does that tell you? If God the Father and God the Son share their glory, they must be co-equal and co-eternal. So it's, it's so important that Jesus said that as he finished pray, finishes praying for himself. So just in summary, just in summary, Jesus asked the Father to glorify him through going to the cross so that in that he may glorify the Father. And that's where the glory of God is, is everything that happened to the cross. So I just say to you, just keep your eyes focused, uh, keep your worship focused on what happened at the cross because in heaven right now, that great host is surrounding the throne of God saying, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb 
that was slain. And when we worship God in that way, we join with them around the throne of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this uh, insight into the prayer of Jesus, what was uppermost in his mind and in his heart. And we pray that we too, Lord, will seek your glory, the glory that we want to give to you by lifting up Jesus and the finished work of his death and resurrection. Father, we pray that through the proclamation of the cross, many, many more will come to know Jesus in these last days of time. We ask it in his wonderful name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.